Hi, Hannah here, under the hot duvet of soundproofness. Hope you're enjoying your Sunday. It's maybe about to get loads better for you, because I don't know what you're doing, but if you were thinking of doing the washing up or something, just stop that nonsense immediately and listen to this. Actually, you could probably combine the two. Okay, I'm going to leave that choice up to you. This is our Sunday Chops for this week. You may have noticed on last week's podcast, which was excellent, if you haven't listened to it, we spoke to Dr. Terry Simpkin from... Cambridge's Anglia Ruskin University about imposter phenomenon, more commonly called imposter syndrome, about what it is, why we get it, why men and women experience it differently, and what we can do to solve it. And she actually had some pretty helpful advice for me. I'm feeling quite confident today under my blanket of soundproofness. There's loads of other chops to listen to when you're finished with this. If you want to put a conversation off, all afternoon we could help you with that we did some excellent podcasts if I say so myself around International Women's Day we spoke to Dr Jill Sutherland about Millicent Fawcett and also about what history might make of today's current clusterfuck we spoke to Laura Bates Aisha Hazarika loads of great chat there so um, not much else for me to say except don't forget to download us again on Wednesday when we have a, a gig cast that has Desiree Birch Joe Caulfield and Jennifer Bloody Saunders, I know. Until then. Hi, we've been joined in the studio today by Dr Terry Simpkin, who is the Senior Lecturer in Leadership and Corporate Education at Anglia Ruskin University. And she has come to here to talk to us today about imposter syndrome. So probably the best place to start would be, I really want to say, who the fuck are you? Yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck are you? Have you got any idea on Coming you? Coming in here telling us. <laughs> yeah, um, just load it on the shoulders, yeah. What, what is imposter syndrome? Firstly, you've never identified as a, as a syndrome. It's actually a phenomenon, but I think phenomenon seems to you know, roll off the tongue like a brick and people tend to, to like the idea of, of saying something more easily. So the imposter syndrome it is. It was first developed or first identified in the 1970s by a lady called um, Pauline Rose Clance, and she looked at it in terms of high-achieving women. She had this this research idea about why people at the top end of their game were actually feeling like frauds. And her research essentially encapsulated the idea that it is a an intense feeling of intellectual fraudulence or phoniness. And it is often, and more often than not, in the face of objective measures of success. So you'll see these outwardly confident, highly successful people who have actually been objectively identified as, as highly functioning, highly successful, when they're still feeling that they're not, they're not worthy of that. Is this something you came to from a place of personal experience? Yeah, funnily enough, yeah. <laughs> um, it, I remember sitting in my car once I was just about to hand in my PhD. So I'd gone through a couple of degrees. I'd you know, spent five years you know, investigating the topic that I was looking at. And I sat in my car for about half an hour plucking up the courage to actually go and put this thing in, my thesis in, because I thought once I actually hand that in, then everyone's going to know I've been gaming them for the last five years, that I really shouldn't have been doing this in the first place. It was all I could do to get myself out of the car and actually hand this thing in for for marking because once it was out there, it was out there and I would be exposed. And so I walked away thinking, oh, my God, you know, for the next two months I'm going to have to sit waiting on the, the marks to come in and I know that they're going to come back saying, what were you thinking? How, how could you possibly believe yourself to be worthy enough to actually do this? 
And as it happened, it came back really excellent. Uh-huh. <laughs> it came back excellent. But that that started me thinking: what is what is going on? Um, you know, between my own ears, and indeed, is there you know, a, you know, a name for it, and are other people actually experiencing it? The name imposter phenomenon seemed to sort of, or imposter syndrome, as it is more commonly referred to, mm. cropped up about three or four years ago. It suddenly started getting written about. Maybe even though you said it's from the seventies, why do you think it's reared its head now? And that's a really good question. I, I think it's because Thanks. people are starting. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> you, sure. You, you can <laughs> start, take yeah. that. <laughs> um, I, I think it's because women are starting to re- examine reasons as to why perhaps we're not seeing women in uh, on boards, on you know, on councils, on in senior leadership roles. We know from 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 uh, research that you know, women sort of get to middle management and tend not to make it into senior management. And I think there's a a real examination of why that is. And of course, now we've got. You know, just of late, you know, the Me Too movement and a whole raft of other reasons to be looking at women's experience. But I, but I think that there's a, a groundswell of interest as to why it is that we're not seeing women making the sorts of contributions that they could make because of, you know, structural inefficiencies or, or societal expectations or indeed um, you know, women feeling perhaps not as, um, as confident as they, as they could be. And I think that there's a, a lot of criticism around this idea that women aren't confident. My research suggests that women are confident. They're just butting up against societal expectations and workplace expectations that confirm that they, perhaps they shouldn't be in the positions that they're in. So... The, the word that you've used a lot there is women, and mm. it does seem to affect women more. More women seem to think that they are, or feel like imposters. Yeah, it's it, the, the jury's out on that. There's research that has come since that first research on high achieving women. It's been done on men, managers, PhD students, uh, people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, and so the there isn't evidence that suggests that women experiencing it more than men. I tend to think personally that it is um, experienced differently from men. And I think that's because, uh, again, that we've got the, the gender double whammy. We've got particularly in um, you know, occupations where women traditionally weren't very visible, that they're coming up against workplace and societal expectations that are confirming their sense of being an imposter rather than challenging it, which they might not come across if they were in either more traditional occupations or indeed if they were experiencing the workforce the way that men do. And we know that's different. How, how common do you think it is? A, again, you know, there's research which suggests that about 70% of people will experiencing it at some point in their career. And that's so, men and women. That's men and, and mm-hmm. women. But that's at some point. And, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to, to identify it as imposter phenomenon rather than just plain self-doubt, which is fairly normal. My research suggests, um, and this is based on a sample of about uh, 550 women from all over the world in STEM occupations, um, about 89% of them will be experiencing either um, uh, frequent or moderate uh, experiences of, of feeling like a phony. 
It must be really damaging because I think particularly if you if you're smart and you believe something, you look for stuff to back it up. Yeah, and this this is what I've been looking at in my research is is that we go back to this idea of sense making. The way that we see the world comes from how we're taught about life from our parents and from school and from university and the world around us. And so sense making isn't based on reality or accuracy, it's based on what we think is plausible. And so if you're in a if you're a soul woman in a highly male dominated environment, it's it's implausible that you should be there. And so our sense of sense making will fill in the gaps and and make that imposter right. Yeah. So you're looking for things that actually back up your idea of being a fake. Why can't we use that to back up our idea that maybe we should be there in the first place? Because it's implausible. Right. Society, society says it's implausible that, you know, women should be astronauts. It's implausible that we should have, you know, 70% of women on boards globally. It's implausible because the numbers aren't there. We're not seeing it. Of course, it is. It's possible and mm-hmm. it's desirable and there's no reason as in terms of competence why women shouldn't be in these positions. But because we've not seen it, because historically, you know, we've, we've not been in those sorts of positions... It's implausible. We're socially conditioned. We're socially conditioned. He's exactly right. And it's so difficult. People ask me about writing. Like one of the best tips I think I can give about writing is that when you finish writing, you go away from it and then you give it as much time as you possibly can if you're within a deadline and then go back to it when you've had a chance to be away from it to look. And then at that point, you usually think that is really good or I have no idea what I was thinking. (laughs) What language is that even? But when you you sort of have this... uh, uh, this idea that you are an imposter, you are naturally going to look at it and think, I have no idea what I was thinking. So things that really cause that are like your judgment call in the same way, I suppose that they, they reckon that women won't apply for a job if they, unless they hit a certain number of criteria, whereas men will just apply for a job if they think they can do it. Even if it says of, it's for women only, yeah. the men That's will still exactly apply right. for a job. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it said that you know, women won't apply unless they've got 100 percent plus plus yeah. and they'll ex- make excuses as to why they shouldn't whereas you know, the experience of men is is much less they've got much more and it's again it's put down to confidence but I, I don't think it is I think it's if you're actually going to have to put yourself out there and be scrutinized that you you know particularly if you're carrying around you know experiences of the of being an imposter then you want everything to be ticked and one of the the characteristics of of IP is this this need to be right all the time special and perfect and none of those things exist in humans it it, it just doesn't that's happen. my cv kind of, you just yeah. my cv out it's kind of interesting is there a difference because women basically i feel like women are disproportionately told no you can't do that whereas men are disproportionately told no you can do that so do you, men and women experience it differently because women feel that they can't do it, but they but they are actually sort of allowed to vocalise that, whereas men maybe feel they're told that they can do it, and if they feel that they can't, then they can't vocalise that. It's it, quite quite possibly. I mean, the other thing is that it it acts out in in a in a type of cycle. Mm. So you end up sort of going through a, a, a range of behaviours which will just keep perpetuating themselves. And again, I don't think men necessarily feel it the same way that women do because of those societal expectations and a and a, a you know a history 
that ne- didn't have you know, women's voices in it. If we're looking at the workforce, for example, mm. it's really only in the, in the recent past that we've actually seen women entering the workforce in any huge numbers. And so their experience of the workforce has, hasn't fed into the structures and processes that we use. And one of the, the, the people that I spoke to in my, in my research basically said, when they're talking about performance management, which you would expect is a good place for somebody to actually get some really good feedback and to feel warm and fuzzy about their experiences and their, their successes and walk away thinking, oh, good, I'm, I'm good at what I do. Women were actually telling me, my boss doesn't know what I do, therefore any good feedback that he gives me, I have to discount because how would he know? which just feeds into my sense of being an imposter again. And so the the workplace practices that we've set up for ourselves don't necessarily align with the way that that people are coming to the workforce. It's Mm. it's we just exist in a world that doesn't you know uh, stack up against the processes that we've we built for our workplaces 50 years ago. So coming back to your question I think that men do come to it with a sense of of I use the term advisedly, a sense of confidence than perhaps women have not necessarily developed. And and I'm not suggesting that's all women because, you know, again, in conversations with women, in their quiet moments, they could say, one woman actually said, logically, I know that I can take on the world, but I'm just waiting for someone to tap me on the shoulder and tell me I'm a fraud. So there's this there's this duality. There's this. I know I could actually do that job, but I'm not sure I'm going to yeah. necessarily be allowed to in the environment that I'm working mm. with or in in the society that that I that I'm yeah, engaging with, and that's that's really profound for me because this idea of women not having confidence that sort of shakes that a little bit because I think it's not so much about confidence in themselves. They know they've got confidence in themselves. I knew I had confidence to to you know, get my PhD. It was now that I've put it out to the world is is my capacity to to engage with the world or make the world see that I'm capable enough. Is that going to be good enough? Is, is what I've what I've done there going to be good enough for that? And so it's not so much confidence; mm. it's self-efficacy, the capacity to make other things work in concert with my own quiet confidence. Because it's interesting as well. Because you, you you say about getting feedback from your boss. I mean, some people, and I am definitely one of them, just aren't particularly good at taking compliments. You so your but that little part of your brain shuts off, and you're like, oh, I find this excruciatingly embarrassing. I would actually at points rather be bollocked than I would be praised because it's just really to me I just find it really awkward so I suppose if my brain shuts off those bits Mm. I'm not even taking in the good stuff I'm just taking in the negative and not the the hey you are actually other people might be telling me I'm I'm doing a good job but what I'm actually doing is not listening yeah And, and again another participant basically suggested to me when I asked her how do you accept you know, positive feedback, and she said, "My toes are curling just thinking about it." She said, I can't, yeah, I can't do it. It's it is so cold in here, but I am also doing that as well, like it cringing, is. cringing. Yeah. Well, and this is a, an, you know another key characteristic that people who, who believe themselves to be imposters or frauds or fakes will automatically externalise that that success. So they come up and say, oh, you did a really good job on that. Oh, no, it wasn't me. It was the team. Oh, no, I just got lucky. It, that wasn't, yeah. it wasn't down to my capacities. Oh, it was somebody else. It was something else. It was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And so there's this, this externalisation of that praise or success. But when it comes to failure, 
that's all mine. I did, I did, you know, don't look at that bit because that's not quite right. And yeah. That bit, that didn't go as well as it should have. And, and actually pointing it out as yeah, well. Yeah, identifying, because what you're doing is you're making your story right. My story is that I'm an imposter, so here's all this evidence to suggest that I'm not as good as you think I am. So, Terry, how do we counter it oh, within God. ourselves? Oh, help me, Terry. <laughs> Terry, <laughs> stop me. saying it was more by luck than judgment. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to, to where these stories come from, really sitting down having a good hard think about why is it that, that you're unable to take pride or to even just accept the, um, the, the praise or the compliments or the objective yeah, why is levels it, Hannah? of success. Can we, why can is we that? Uh, analyse Hannah? <laughs> is, I mean, is it, I, I mean I'm going to blame me parents because that seems to be really, <laughs> If I did a really good job of something, they would say so. But then they would move quite quickly on to something else. I don't think I grew up surrounded by excessive praise, maybe. I don't know. That's not to say that they aren't proud of me, but you know. no. And I, th- I think going back to the, the your childhood is, is a really good place to start. Having a think about how how praise was and success was dealt with in the family. So was it something that was, you know, a positive experience for you, or was as you say, is it something that was you know, um, you know, shrugged off? Well, I think they wanted to be fair. So I think they didn't like the idea of one child getting a lot of praise. It was like so you would be praised for something, and then. Everybody else would get a tiny bit of praise, and you'd like that. Well, they ate, was it, but they ate a bag of crisps. <laughs> Why so did they get praise? So you're for that? used to you've yeah. grown up with this idea of sharing around your praise. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So when you come to to be an adult, you're still sharing around your praise because that's no, that's, that's your Hannah. story. Are we are we solving Hannah? I don't know. Yeah. Could you imagine? I might be in there. How much money do you want for this? <laughs> you saved yeah. me a fortune. Yeah, you haven't seen my invoice yet. Someone, <laughs> someone compliment her and see what happens. <laughs> Hannah, I really like your coat. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's the next thing is actually identifying when it happens. So coming to, to a conversation with people and they, they say, oh, look, you know, you did a really good job on that piece of writing that, that you, you did for XYZ magazine. Yeah. Can and I just point I'm, out that even in the fake scenario, Hannah kind of backed away from the compliment. <laughs> it's not even actually a compliment. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the physical reactions are, st- are a start of it. You have to be aware of that you're actually doing that or your toes curling or you, yeah. I mean, you were sitting there sort of cringing, yeah. physically cringing. Note, identifying when that happens to yourself and, and don't go to what I call the confidence afterburn. It's when somebody says, you did a good job, your automatic reaction will be, oh, no, it was something else. Oh, I got lucky. I was yeah. in the right place at the time. What a fluke that was. Stop yourself from saying that and say, thank you. Go on, try it. Thank you. I used to be a civil servant before I did this job. And when I was a civil servant, I was a bit shit, to be honest. And I wouldn't speak in meetings. It was like I found it like sort of the fear of saying something stupid just was too much for me. And I couldn't handle it. And my boss said to me one day, there's a name for this. This is imposter syndrome. This is something that women particularly experience, blah, blah, blah. And I had like a mentor at work and she was like, you really... What's the word? Catastrophize yeah. everything. So Worst you, case scenario. You just yeah. see, like, you have this thing where you kind of like, and she's just like, you know, what is the worst really that's going to happen? Anyway, through like some weird thing, I started doing, I basically started writing a blog and I was trying lots of sports and blah, 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 blah. And this sort of led into me becoming a journalist now. And now I think through doing that blog and doing all those sports, I took myself so far out of my comfort zone that the fact that I have like literally no formal training for this whatsoever, I'm just like, eh, it's all right. Yeah, I can do it. It's fine, isn't it? 
And that, I don't really, like, every now and again, I'll be like, you're making a fool out of yourself. What the fuck are you doing? But for the most part, I'm just like, yeah, it's all right, isn't it? It's so weird that as a civil servant, this should have been something that I was just like, I, I, I just can't function. And now I'm just like, yeah. Hang on, Jen's cured. We've sorted Hannah. Why am I here? I shouldn't be here. I've got all the imposter syndrome yeah. now. Yeah, well, well so, so when you're writing your blogs when you first started, did, were you trying to I made to my mum read like every single one of them like before I put them out because I was like, oh, there'll be loads of... And there were lots of grammatical errors in it and still are lots of grammatical errors. But, um, but yeah, so... I love Mickey nodding away there. Yeah, you, you are shit, Jen. <laughs> shit. Uh, Grammar's not your strong point. <laughs> I didn't ever get taught it at school. Anyway, um, first I was really, 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 like, really, really worried me. Now I'm just a bit like, eh, whatever, I'll tell that story about the time I dyed my beard brown by accident <laughs> and 30,000 people will listen to it and like, yeah, whatever, don't care. Weird. Is it because you're coming from a point of, of feeling authentic so you don't necessarily need to, need to make up some evidence to actually prove yourself to be... I think lots of people said nice things to me and then in the end I was a bit like, yeah, I'm pretty good, aren't I? This is all right, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, I think a lot of it is just about learning Learning. to take a compliment and and accept that you've done an all right job at something and be like, yeah, that's a good thing. I'm proud of that. It's a a good point, actually, because this is learned. It's a learned thing. It's not something that's chemical. It's not something... And that's why it's not a a syndrome. It's not something that is based in in, um, sort of some medical issue. It it is learned. It is a a socially constructed thing. So Mm. if you can learn it, you can unlearn it. But it it takes it takes effort, and and you know sometimes examining what, what has gone on in your childhood and in perhaps your early life and schooling and you know, that that can be really quite confronting for people because it means that at some point or another someone that you trusted to tell you the right thing about the world was actually not as good as they should have been. But, but yeah, parents... seriously, there's got to be a time where I can lock that box and never have to look in yeah. it ever again. I, I, I do think as well, I suppose, uh, there are people uh, that I have been around at points in my career where I think, and I think everybody has this, where you have seen people that are promoted beyond mm. their capabilities or have managed to talk themselves into jobs and are not capable of doing them that you kind of look at that person and that person is always the worst person that you work with that that person who basically you're doing their job because they actually can't do it that you sort of the fear of being that person as well the fear of being the weak link in that sense that you're not pulling your way it it, I think it is kind of a a group thing rather for me rather than a personal thing it's that you're not being you're not being a fully functioning part of a team I mean I don't feel it here in a lot of jobs, I think, yeah, you do, you see people being over-promoted or whatever. But the other thing you forget is sometimes quite a lot of people in the workplace get promoted because the people who they work with don't want to deal with them anymore. <laughs> they get, the like, Peter principle. promoted yeah. into principle? a different place. The Peter, Peter principle is where you're promoted to your point of incompetence. Oh. So you keep getting promoted. Is that, just is that like a moving bi- biblical story? Is it that, Peter? He ended up Pope and he really wasn't up to the job. No, or is it I a different Peter? So. Which Peter was this? I don't, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure where, which Peter what, it is. I think, Peter, were, Terry? I think there might have been a sitcom in the 80s called The Peter Principle. I think there might have been. But I, I, don't, I don't think the name comes from that. I think the name of the sitcom comes from the theory the rather than yeah. the other way around. Yeah. If there wasn't one, we should definitely write a 1980s sitcom yeah. called The Peter Principle. We certainly should. He'd be a head teacher. Sorry, I've gone way off. <laughs> 
What else are you up to, Terry? Out of the research, it was it was too valuable to just leave to an academic examination. And given that people were saying, like you, what can I do about this? Uh, I've been doing um, you know, public lectures and, and uh, working with um, uh, women in STEM, so looking at how we can actually get more women and girls into STEM occupations and going right back to the... To, to kids in schools and working with kids in schools to to get them to understand that you know it's not just about certain groups of the community who should be you know involved in this type of thing but also I've got a, a website called Braver Stronger Smarter uh, which looks at programs or develops has developed a program to actually help women find out how it's actually come to be and what they can actually do about dot it .com.org.co.uk.net Brave, yeah com. That I mean, it is so fascinating. It has, I feel. Mm. I actually, and I think you've cured Hannah. Yeah. And maybe you could just hang around afterwards and sort me out. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome.